Welcome to the AJP Heart and Circ podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Kehan. Today we'll discuss a new study by WHO et al. titled Implications of SM22-alpha-Cree Expression in Keratinocytes and Unanticipated Inflammatory Skin Lesions in a Model of Atherosclerosis. This rapid report was published August 31st, 2022 in our call for papers on innovation in improving rigor and reproducibility in cardiovascular research. Joining us today are Associate Editor Dr. Keith Brunt, Senior Author and Associate Editor Dr. Zam Kassiri, and Expert Dr. Josh Mann. Let's get started. Keith? Thanks, Kara. This paper was a project initiated to selectively excise the disintegrin metalloproteinase 17, or ADAM17, and specifically in smooth muscle cells by regulated CRE recombination in a background of atherosclerosis-prone LDL-deficient mice. And as with the best laid plans of mice and men, things are not always as expected in practice or execution. Here the authors show that LDL-deficient mice that consumed a high-fat diet had normal skin. And those with the flocked alleles of ADAM17 driven by SM22-alpha developed significant skin lesions, necessitating an early termination of the study. The loss of gene function and SM22-alpha expression was apparent in keratinocytes, and so was the culprit cell type associated with this adverse dermatological reaction. Application of the alternate smooth muscle cre-driven myosin heavy chain 11, which is also very abundant in smooth muscle, had no adverse reactions. I think it is an important reminder to us all that somatic cells are not monogenic entities defined solely by lineage markers, and the gene expression is temporally and spatially quite dynamic. Moreover, I found it compelling to highlight work such as this to better anticipate adverse events and guide therapeutic development with care, but also to ensure that other labs and animal care utilization committees avoid similar pitfalls. That said, this also highlights for us the important role of ADAM17 in keratotic or keratinocytic pathology and biology. And it presents a novel target for dermatological conditions and may yet be a, a happy accident leading to novel treatment strategies for the skin. As scientists, we appreciate that data and experience are what you always get, even when you don't get what you want. And so use it well regardless. This paper demonstrates how we should approach reporting unexpected findings, as it could help others and generate new hypotheses outside our field, or even new models. Anyone working with Crelox animals, lineage tracing, dermatology, and of course, anyone that has ever had an experimental design deviate from expectations will be able to commiserate. It is a great lesson, a fantastic lesson for any journal club. So let's kick the discussion off. Dr. Kassiri, Dr. Mann, shall we? Yes. Let's do it. Great. Uh, thank you so much for being here to talk about this. Dr. Kassiri, just for the new learners who might be touching in, can you briefly tell us a bit about Crelox technology and what it allows us to do and why we would want to control this using drug-sensitive or genetic promoters? So the Crelox system is a, a replacement for the whole body for the global knockouts or global transgenic mice. And uh, the way it works is that it targets a specific cell type based on one of the proteins that is expressed in that 
specific cell type. And as we've seen here, that may not be as specific as you think, but uh, by using the Crelox system, you will be targeting a gene in a selected uh, cell type, which will allow you to one, control when that gene is being knocked out, and also that will avoid any complications that may happen because of the loss of that gene during embryonic development. So you will be generating animal models where they are born healthy, and then you knock out a gene to look at the effect of that gene in specific disease models. It's fascinating because, I mean, we can basically remove genes a la carte on demand, and, and I think that's fantastic. This study was a was an interesting one, and, and I immediately thought of Professor Randy Posh and his last lecture, and he was quoted as saying, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. Is this the case example to enshrine that thinking in science and push us to understand and report findings like this, do you think? Absolutely. I actually, um, I like that expression. And I had heard a different version of it where it says experience is what you get right after you need it. So that is exactly what we got. We got this experience uh, right after we wasted about three years. Well, we didn't waste. We spent three years figuring this out. And um, I think this is more of a case of learning new knowledge. So we always thought that you can hang your hat based on a specific promoter that you're targeting a gene in one cell type, and that's the beginning and the end of it. But as more research comes through using these Crelog systems, uh, we are finding out that biology and physiology is not as black and white as we originally thought. There is going to be expression of any particular gene in multiple cell types, not just one, although it will be primarily in one cell type, but you can get residual expression in other cell types as well. So it's just a matter of learning from something that we didn't anticipate to get, and we can write it off as experience, absolutely. Now, Dr. Mann, maybe you can comment a little bit. You know, science is somewhat ambiguous at times, or unexpected findings appear, or negative findings appear. How important is it that we as reviewers and editors look out for those works that, that do come forward with these unexpected findings, or, or sometimes disappointments <laughs> for one lab might be opportunities by another? Could you just comment briefly on, you know, how are we doing as a field? Yeah, I think it's absolutely important, and I give big credit to... HAP Heart and Cirque for creating a home to publish unexpected findings like this. For one, it celebrates the diligent work that research groups like um, ZAMS did to look more into and follow up these unexpected findings. Two, it's of interest to cardiovascular research who might want to know about SM22-alpha expression and keratinocytes and how this might affect their experiments if they intend to study smooth muscle cell-specific function of their favorite gene, especially in the context of hyperlipidemia. And then third, it's of interest to keratinocyte biologists and maybe dermatologists, as it supports known roles of the keratinocyte ATOM-17 in skin barrier homeostasis, but now also raises questions about previously unappreciated SM22-alpha activity in keratinocytes, such as is it constitutively expressed throughout keratinocyte differentiation or in precursors? And then lastly, I think it also allows us to revisit maybe some published findings using the SM22 alpha promoter, um, now knowing its uh, contributions to gene deletions and perhaps other non-vascular smooth muscle cells. Yeah, that's interesting because there could be this unreported bias that may have entered the field, particularly animal care technicians might have removed animals from certain studies. So 
And, and, and that's an interesting summary and, and fantastic. And, and uh, I, I want to just maybe follow up a little bit more about uh, the promoter regulations themselves. Sometimes we encounter something colloquially called leaky promoters where they aren't as restricted as we think. I don't think that was the case here, but you know, it appears rather that smooth muscle 22 alpha is actually the, the major keratinocyte molecular regulator. So did we misname this promoter in the first place? Should it have been called KT22 alpha for keratinocyte, do you think? <laughs> exactly. So perhaps maybe, I mean, usually the decided genomic nomenclature is based on the tissue or function that was discovered first. Um, but often we later find that a gene's product might have multiple functions, or in this case, maybe seemingly have ubiquitous expression in other tissues. I was looking back and it looks like SM22-alpha was known to be expressed in the embryonic heart, myeloid cells, and perivascular adipose tissue. And this hadn't deterred researchers from using SM22-alpha before as a, a smooth muscle cell-specific pre-driver as no side effects have ever presented. And it's perhaps maybe just by luck that the genes that were deleted using this Cree did not have any effect in keratinocytes, or it required the combination of hyperlipidemia with the LDLR knockout in high-fat diet. That's a required second hit in mice to manifest such uh, side effects. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost as though the precedent of, of, of the reporting and the namesake itself can drive what could be an increased risk to dogma in the field. And I think we all need to be conscious of that. So that thank you for that. That's an interesting look. I'll open the floor here maybe to, to another thought that I had, which was that the smooth muscles themselves or somatic cells that are defined by their function aren't so static in their nature. So smooth muscles are a good example of that. They shift from contractile to synthetic uh, phenotypes. They even transdifferentiate into, into, for example, fibroblast foam cells. Does this by nature make it a challenging cell type to work with just in general? What are your feelings there, uh, Dr. Mann, Dr. Kisiri? That's actually, that's a great point. And that's kind of a scenario that we're dealing with when we study fibroblasts, for example. So what is important is to, as the promoter for the gene deletion, to, to specify a protein, to choose a protein that is expressed in a cell type under normal conditions, basically, unless you want to study the activated state. But I also want to emphasize what uh, Joshua mentioned just, just before this in terms of what has caused the side effect in these mice. So SM22-alpha has been used in many different disease models and no other side effects have been reported. We have used it and others have also used it in same models of hypertension and aortic aneurysm. But there seems to be a, uh, like a, in this case, we had a perfect storm. We had the LDLR deficiency, we had the hyperlipidemia, and we had ADAM17 loss, which has been shown to be important in the skin. So we had these three factors that came together, and this appears to be the only time that you do get the skin lesions. Because when we had mice lacking ADAM17, but they had an intact LDLR receptor, when they received high-fat diet, they did not develop the skin lesion. So you need the hyperlipidemic condition and the effect of ADAM17 on the creatinocytes in order to get this effect. So I want to emphasize that there are going to be cases where a selected promoter is not going to be specific to one cell type only, but it is very important to consider the context of the disease model. If you have a targeted disease model, so if you're inducing a localized injury to the heart, to the arteries, to an, a specific organ, you may not even be concerned with side effects that you would get in, this, in, the, in the skin. 
But in this case, it was a systemic loss of LDLR receptor and hyperlipidemia that led to this phenotype. Sometimes we forget that many of these cell-specific promoters are themselves biologically important to the function of a cell. So sometimes people will say demand drives expression, and there seemed to be a high demand uh, in SM22-alpha in these keratinocytes, which is known as transgelin, and this is a cytoskeleton regulator, believed to have a role in mechanotransduction. So in that combination that you just talked about, ADAM17 and LDL uh, receptor on this high-fat diet, it's, it's sort of a perfect storm. But does it does it make sense in any way? Do, do we know what the role is? Is there just a, a tenfold greater drive in, in keratinocytes, for example, than there is in smooth muscle? And, and this might be contributing to why we got somewhat of a, a very specific ADAM17 effect. Uh, so based on the staining that we did for SM22 in the skin, it seems like a majority of the SM22 is located at the root of the hair. So it may have to do with the way that the skin responds to different stimuli that could affect the um, hair movement or the fur movement in the case of the, um, of the animals. And there is some SM22 present in the superficial layer of the, of the skin as well. So why are they there? Uh, that's another big question to be answered, but obviously mm-hmm. they are there. And uh, Adam 17 is an important player in maintaining the structural integrity of the skin. Yeah, certainly Adam 17 would be on my, my um, watch list if I was in the dermatological field at this point. And that's the interesting thing I find is, is that we, we sometimes have these happy accidents where we set about to do something with the Cree regulator, but something else happens like this that, that really gets everybody excited in another field. So, But if we go back to those Cree regulators for a second, Dr. Mann, this Cree regulator was under a tamoxifen uh, regulation to sort of allow for that temporal control. How important is it, do you think, that we have Cree reporter strains incorporated for spatial accountability in studies like this or elsewhere? And are we lacking some of the foundational information from mouse providers to design experiments? Like, could this could this have been avoided with a better standardized um, characterization of these mouse lines in general? Um, what are we missing in the field? The control over the timing when cream-mediated recombination occurs provides more flexibility for conditional mutagenesis in mice, especially when you're trying to study genes that are essential for early development. To your que- second question, I think the group publishing the first paper on a newly established mouse model has the onus for characterizing tissue specificity, the efficiency of the pre-recombinase, et cetera. And in the cardiovascular field, we're generally focused mainly on characterizing the specificity of recombinase activity in the tissues that are most relevant to us. So like the endothelial cells, soothed muscle cells, immune cells, maybe different vascular beds, and maybe other major cardiovascular related organs like the kidney, liver, and the heart. But even in our most honest efforts, we might miss hidden phenotypes or may not anticipate how these phenotypes may manifest in certain disease states, like in this case with hyperlipidemia. So I think it's it's nearly impossible to exhaustively explore all these caveats a priori. So I think it's, again, important to publish these post hoc findings and have a place for them. That's a good point. And, and orthogonal experimentation is is usually a, a good strategy. One, Dr. Kasiri, that you used, you integrated cell cultures of, of both keratinocytes and smooth muscles. You you labeled with antibodies for SM22-alpha histochemically. What you didn't do was just abandon the colony at the first sight of trouble and move on. 
so why was it so important to your team to resolve and report these data here? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so these mice are actually triple transgenic mice. So it took them, it took us about two years to generate these mice and they were had, they had to be put on high fat diet for a few months. And the first few sets of mice that came through and we saw the skin issue, we thought, okay, it may have been a one-off thing. And then we saw, no, there's really a pattern here. So our initial intuition or what we, I guess, hoping for it to be was that there is such a severe atherosclerosis in these mice that maybe that's what interfering with the skin integrity. So we looked at that. We looked at vascularization. We looked at inflammation. We looked at all these different factors that could be linked to both atherosclerosis and skin lesions. And it turned out not to be any of those. And at that point, the first author of this paper, Mayhu, had done so much diligent work in collecting the samples, in processing them, in, in compiling the data, that it got to a point that we thought, okay, it's going to be a waste if we don't let the others know of this finding. So, of course, at that point, in order to make it a complete story, we had to go a little extra length where we had to culture the creatinocytes and do additional staining and some additional experiments so that we will have an explanation for why we saw what we saw. And I want to go back to what Josh uh, mentioned a couple of times. There is, it, there is an absolute necessity and importance in publishing negative data and side effect data. And um, again, kudos to AJP Hart for accepting our paper because for new trainees and students, they always think that, oh, if you get negative data, you wasted your life. But that is not the case at all. Negative data is as important as positive data. It may not be as exciting because then you have to go back and start over again, but it is as important as positive data. And uh, that's basically what drove us to submitting this for publication. Is there something um, really specific about ADAM17 or the combination of high-fat diet and ADAM17? Do you feel that's driving the um, potential for this being a new dermatological model uh, or susceptibility to inflammation? So ADAM17 is involved in a number of signaling pathways. We were not able to narrow it down to what the exact pathway is that they target in this model, but uh, we just left it to at the point that loss of Adam 17 in a hyperlipidemic condition, increase the inflammation and compromise the skin barrier integrity. When I stop and I think about this a little bit from a, a 30,000 foot view, I, I see the potential for clinicians to really start seeing some translational potential in this. The inflammation inside our vessels can be mirrored on the surface of our skin. And our skin can be a reflection of what might be going on underneath. Is this something that we can start to maybe draw some, some speculation around? Uh, for sure. And this is all speculation. There is a little bit of evidence for hyperlipidemia-induced dermatitis. And there's some association between hyperlipidemia and psoriasis. And of course, there's association between chronic inflammatory skin disorders and increased risk for cardiovascular events. And I think it goes back to, like you said, the chronic inflammation in the skin could be a proxy for perhaps chronic inflammation in the process of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease as well. So, sort of like how we always ask our ophthalmologists to refer patients to show any back of the eye uh, evidence of hypertension to cardiology. Maybe we need to get more dermatologists and cardiologists talking. Dr. Kasiri, I, I, I think Adam17, like you said, has a, a diverse um, you know, subset of, of substrates. Um, and clearly a diverse cellular compartment role. 
Um, any new and exciting things uh, that we can anticipate coming from you in the future, do you think? Uh, there is definitely going to be new and exciting thing coming up, and I can't wait to share that with you. Hopefully in the near future. I suspected that was going to be the case. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Mann, do you have any final thoughts or, or maybe some advice for trainees or even seasoned PIs that might be planning their next pre-lock study? Yeah, I guess be thorough in your genotyping and validation early in your experiments uh, so that you can identify these caveats early, but also don't give up and be diligent and rigorous, just like Zam's group, because it could open up a lot of other questions and be of interest to many readers. I think that's great advice and a great place to end. So I thank you both so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Zerk podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.